Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Beautiful song, beautiful song. Thank you for lifting our hearts this morning as we turn to Acts chapter 1 where we left off last Sunday at verse 8, so we'll pick up at verse 9 today. For virtually every passage that a pastor teaches or or any instructor teaches from the Bible, they have to ask the question, you know, why is this here? And the reality is that Jesus would, would need to depart and leave his disciples behind at some point, So why not here? Jesus is carried, we will find, in grand fashion up into the sky. You're going to have to forgive me a little, but with this week, the launching of SpaceX, uh, I I just couldn't get my mind off space travel and the space (laughs) shuttle. Yeah, that was given given to me by Ken. And uh, he told me that's an actual photo of Jesus' ascension from the Mount of Olives. I think I will let Shannon deal with you later. I couldn't get my mind off the space shuttle. Uh, of course, in this modern day, most, most of us deem rocket launches as commonplace. Uh, yet, if the launch were to occur at night, uh, we see it light off in the sky. It's, it's still very impressive. It will grab our attention at least until our phone lights off in our hand, right? And then we might be distracted to something else quite easily. That was not so when the first space shuttle launched. It was called Columbia back in 1981. That initiated a whole new era of space travel. And even to those of us who were limited to watching it on television, uh, you know, we couldn't take our eyes off that screen as Columbia lifted off and, and faded out smaller and smaller in the distance. We, we just kept looking. We were trying to see if maybe we could get one final glimpse. But Columbia was clearly gone. Reading from Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And after Jesus had said these things, he was lifted up while the disciples were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who was taken from you uh, up into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Well, the apostles had never seen space travel. They'd never even seen manned air travel until now. Now, I, I can't imagine their fascination as Jesus was lifted up into the clouds and out of their sight. Uh, But one thing was 
for certain Jesus was finally gone. Why is this passage placed here? Why did Jesus have to leave them at this point in time? It's because his departure assures his church had been made ready. The church is ready for launch. Verse 9 includes for us a time stamp. We know that the ascension occurred after Jesus had said these things. So we need to ask ourselves, well, what things? And when we think about it, uh, this effectually means after Jesus had said all things. He had already taught them for three years, roughly three years through verbal instruction, combined with some hands-on experience for the disciples along the way. And then after his resurrection, we have learned over the last couple weeks that Jesus spent another 40 days clarifying those pieces of the puzzle that remained misunderstood. So Jesus had a whole lot of things to say, including wait for the Holy Spirit. And he will, according to John 14, verse 26, bring to your remembrance all the things that I've said. Through the Holy Spirit, uh, they would be reminded of all things. Yet when it states that after Jesus had said these things, verse 8 is the immediate context where he had given his disciples the Great Commission. Go into all the world, starting in Jerusalem and then working your way out. They had received their final charge as to what they were to do. And there Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. What more could there be for Jesus to do? Well, there was one more thing. One other thing uh, Jesus gave them was a parting blessing at this same occasion. We find that in the final statement, the closing verse of the Gospel of Luke, where we read, And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, referring to the disciples, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. So after this blessing, there was only one thing left for Jesus to do. He went into heaven. The focus is not on the how. How did it happen? How did that take place? But the where. The where that he went. Because the word heaven is repeated four times in this passage, verses 10 and 11. Uh, you may have a Bible translation that, that twice repeats it as sky, uh, but heaven is the same Greek word that is used in each occurrence. And, and this is to remove any question as to where Jesus had gone. Repeated words and passages are there for a reason and for emphasis. And Peter is going to assure us in chapter 2 that in fulfillment of the Old Testament, when 
Peter preaches at Pentecost, Christ is now seated in heaven on his throne, sitting at the right hand of God. We'll wait for that topic until we get to chapter 2. What is important today is that it was only after Jesus' disciples were adequately prepared. After he had prepared them for ministry, when in verse 9 we see Jesus was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And of course, they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going. Folks, this is a very unusual scene. It, it, it's meant to draw attention to after Jesus' decide, uh, departure, uh, he was gone. He was gone. Uh, the disciples were all there. They witnessed this all together, gazing intently together. Uh, the group is not going to have to speculate on whether Jesus is going to pop in or out as he had over the previous 40 days. There's, there's a finality here to Jesus' departure. It, it also assures us that, that Jesus doesn't pop in and out today uh, for special visits. When he returns, we'll see in this passage, we will all see it together. And this spectacular scene brings closure to Jesus' earthly ministry. The apostles will now have to learn to do ministry on their own. Of course, they will be given the Holy Spirit, but they will have to move forward on their own. The church has been cleared for launch. And this is one of the reasons that, that the two angels appeared to redirect their attention. They're dressed like men, we read, but, but they're in radiant clothing. It's not just white. This is, this is white, white. The Greek implies th this is really bright white. Actually, brilliant white, gleaming white. And the angels had said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? You know, such a question implies there's a futility to their behavior. Yeah, just standing there, that isn't going to change. It isn't going to accomplish anything. So this is what I believe the angels mean to suggest. You didn't think you were going to get to play spectator forever, did you? Instead, everything that you have heard from Jesus, everything you have learned from Jesus, now needs to be put into practice. You've been given a great commission. You've been given a responsibility. And Jesus' departure gives a clear indication that he's, he's officially now delegating the work of his kingdom to those who are left behind. You know, I think we can successfully defend that conclusion by examining other references in Scripture to Jesus' ascension. You know, I knew, as you probably know, that Acts chapter 1 isn't the only location uh, that speaks to Jesus' ascension in the Bible. 
But I wasn't exactly sure how many times we are told Jesus has ascended. So what do I do? Well, we've been learning in adult Bible class the chain references in your Bible. You can look at the references next to the verse in your Bible and you can look at other locations where this same topic occurs. Now, those chain references aren't exhaustive. Many, many uh, citations are left out from chain references. They're, they're always incomplete. They're not exhaustive. Even more important is to search by concordance for every occurrence of the word ascension, or ascending, or ascend. And thereby I was reminded of a reference to the ascension made by Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. We read that together earlier, where the Apostle Paul writes, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. When did that happen? Paul tells us. When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So Paul here explains that, that this event of Jesus' ascension should be linked directly to his giving of gifts. Christ left behind gifts. And we know that the same passage describes after Jesus was crucified, how his spirit initially descended, that is, descended to the realm of the dead for three days while his body lay in the grave, Jesus spiritually descended. And Paul indicates that happened before he ascended, before, uh, before the ascension far above all the heavens. Of course, that ends at that occurs at the end of the 40 days which Jesus appeared. And what was Jesus' rationale for ascending? Paul says it was so that he might fulfill all things. How does Christ do that? How does he fulfill all things remotely from heaven? You aren't the first people who've worked from home, right? Remotely. How does he fulfill all things remotely from heaven? We're told him that he we're told that he fulfills all things through giving gifts. And then next in Ephesians 4 verse 11, we see a rationale given behind Jesus' ascension according to Paul's insight and he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And Paul continues, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. He says, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Jesus ascended so that he might accomplish 
His divine purposes for redemption, not merely for us, but through us. And He does, through, does so through the Spirit and through gifts. He said, wait for the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and we are gifted not for cheering from the sidelines, but for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Scripture always explains Scripture. And I find it fascinating that Scripture links Jesus' decision to ascend, his need to depart from earth directly with his decision to call and impart men for divine work. Men of Galilee, you didn't think you were going to get to play spectator forever, did you? Jesus departs because he has made man ready. They, the disciples, are now cleared for launch. It's going to happen at Pentecost not many days from now. So the angels ask, why do you stand looking in the sky? You sat in class for three years. You watched Jesus. You, you followed long enough. When are you going to finally take the lead? Do you know it is possible? It is possible to keep learning and learning and learning without ever doing. There are people who have sat in church pews not for three years, but for 30 years without having ever determined to do anything. And there comes a point we must realize that though we haven't learned it all yet, nor will we know it all until Christ returns, but though we haven't learned it all, we surely have learned enough to be useful. Every person, every person who has been effective for the kingdom of Christ has identified a point when they needed to stop relying upon others and just step out and do it. Do the works of service. Do it for the building up of the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul describes surpassing this threshold as having become a mature man as having become a mature woman. At some point, you have to get off the bench and in the game. Because you've been on the practice squad long enough to where you can be useful. This, you know, what we do on Sundays, folks, it has to become more than learning. Some circles have, have literally redefined Christianity as knowing facts about Jesus from the Bible. 
That, they say, is Christianity. I know facts about Jesus from the Bible. And it is possible for, for church to become you know, a, a series of, of clinical seminars that lead to increased knowledge, but no action. No obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, simply knowing things is not Christianity. It's possible to attend church on Sunday and then revert back to pursuing satisfaction in the world Monday through Saturday. People do it all the time. Acquiring more knowledge is not the end of is not the end all nor even necessary for serving Christ. Folks, you cannot afford to perpetually delay Christ's work until you got it all figured out. Delay it until you know it all. You must realize that these disciples who have been commissioned and now are being sent out, they didn't already know it all. They, they didn't even, they, they aren't even going to settle the, the issue of circumcision for about, a, well, it's, it's about, I don't have the exact date, but roughly 20 years. They won't even settle that for roughly 20 years at the Jerusalem Council. Yet today these angels suggest you know enough. Stop standing there and looking at the sky. Folks, you got to get moving. And there comes a day when you've got to stop looking around, wondering if somebody else is going to do it. About five or six uh, months before COVID hit, my wife Rita and uh, Karen Griffian and um, Tammy Jo Elger, there were a couple other ladies involved as well, they decided they wanted to get together once or twice a week for some purpose. I said, great. They said, we don't want a formal ministry. We don't want something formalized through the church. I said, great. But they didn't know what they should do. Should we study through a book of the Bible, it was asked. Um, should we get a curriculum or a study workbook for which they weren't really enthused? And they invited my feedback. They, they asked for a little guidance on what they should do. And my response was this. You don't need another study. We have an adult Bible class every Sunday morning. We have an exposition from Scripture uh, each Sunday in church. We have a devotional lesson and, and more teaching midweek each Wednesday evening and amongst those young ladies, they, they possessed decades of cumulative learning between them. And they continued to have access to three different studies every week. I told them, you don't need more learning. You don't need another study. That void that you are longing for in your heart, it, it's not a lack of knowledge. You're yearning to put your faith into action. 
And though they each already served in different capacities, uh, their yearning was to turn more of their learning into practice. One suggestion I gave was to, to give heed to Scripture. The Lord's brother James, citing the law given in Deuteronomy, wrote in James 1.21 that true and undefiled religion is this. Visit the orphan and the widow who are in distress. You know, those who are shut in. Those who are lonely. Those who can't get out. Those who are left alone. And they replied, that, that's it. That's, that's what we want to do. And once or twice a month, three or four women would you know, enjoy fellowship at Panera Bread early on a Saturday morning. Then they would, they would take a a meal that they had prepared and they would deliver it to someone who was shut in and spend a, a few moments there, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, just visiting with that person on a Saturday and then departing. They loved it because it was grassroots ministry. I wasn't telling them when or what to do. They didn't need the church to tell them when to go or how to do it. Those who were isolated, who had been sick or shut in, really enjoyed it. Uh, sadly, not too long after, COVID hit, and, and they had to stop doing it. One of the disciple, discipleship lessons surrounding Jesus' ascension is this. For three years I have taught you what to do. For three years I have shown you what to do. Now it's time for you to make your own way and do it. Jesus concluded, I, I no longer have to be here supervising you. You're cleared for launch. Pastors say, yeah, I've demonstrated ways to share gospel tracts in the gospel. I've shown you where the tracts are there at the door. Use them. Keep it simple. Invite people to church. Tell them how much you love, love and enjoy the fellowship that you have on Sunday mornings. Invite them here and we'll share the gospel. After Tim has shown you how to safely use the hedge trimmer. Again, there, there is a time stamp on that. After Tim has shown you how to use the trimmer. He doesn't have to be there to monitor you all the time. He doesn't have to hold your hand uh, to trim or mow. Be a mature man of God. Be a mature woman of God. And I know many of you are. So you've heard that there's someone who no longer is able to drive, and they can't get out, they need a ride to church, Folks, that alone by itself does not indicate that the church needs to start a bus ministry. You've got a car. You've got insurance. You're cleared for launch. Don't take that literally. Be careful who you ride with. <laughs> After Thanksgiving, wait, uh, most recognize our worship of this church is, is wonderful. It is just wonderful. And that is attributed to those uh, gifted people who take initiative and want to get together and practice and just love music. 
We love that they love music because they uplift our hearts every week. Um, one year ago, Tammy Joe started taking piano lessons from Shannon. Two weeks from today, Ken and Shannon are going to be out of town. Tammy is going to play music for worship. She's cleared for launch. After Thanksgiving, Rita and I are going to be out of town. Mike Clements is ready to preach. He's a very gifted teacher. He's repeatedly assured me, wherever you need me, whenever you need it done, uh, I'm here to help. He's cleared to launch. And folks, this is just a small sampling of all the faithful people, the mature men and women who have arrived at the conclusion that I've, I've watched others do this long enough and it is time, as the Apostle Paul has commanded, to become mature. I imagine these disciples, they, they were excited. They were also very fearful of getting their feet wet in Christian ministry. But everybody needs to start somewhere. You could even start by folding Operation Christmas Child boxes and sorting children's gifts on Saturday, October 29th. A ministry that will take the gospel across the earth. That same Saturday, some of us men will be uh, taking down the ceiling structure in the other building to open that up uh, for renovation. Folks, there's plenty to do. And you don't have to always do it through the church. You can be a Christian out where you work, Christian in your community, spreading the gospel, inviting people to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and allow God to work through you. Finally, this passage in verse 11, it also makes a reference to Jesus' return. Now, over the last, last year or so, we have spent an enormous amount of time uh, on the return of Christ, the second advent. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm therefore not going to go into depth on this today. Uh, th this is a prophecy of him in the future. But we do read there that uh, this Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Obviously, the angels are describing the second advent of Christ. As Jesus ascended and disappeared into the clouds, uh, he is assuredly to appear in the same way, unexpectedly, in a dramatic way, from the clouds. Matthew 24 describes Jesus' return in verse 27, where Jesus says, For just as the lightning comes from the east and even flashes to the west, it means suddenly, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming 
on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four corners of the earth, from one end of the sky to the other. Oh, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Jesus' return in the clouds, it's going to be a public spectacle. It's a promise we first see in the prophet Daniel chapter 7. Then it is repeated by Jesus himself. And here once again it's cited by the two angels. And I'm not going to add a lot more today than this. When Jesus returns, everybody's going to know about it. Therefore, Christians don't have to follow after anybody else who comes along claiming to be the Christ, as many people get sucked into. The angels restate for the disciples what was to them a familiar prophecy. And to prophesy, by the way, to prophesy means to speak forth with authority for God. To be a mouthpiece for the Lord. I have to keep reasserting for the benefit of our newer visitors. Uh, we've been through this before, but for the be benefit of newer ve uh, visitors, that to prophesy does not mean to tell the future. To prophesy means to speak authoritatively from God. Sometimes, as it does here with the two angels, that message of God... A prophecy contains information about a future event. Here, it is the return of Christ. But, it, but to prophesy means to speak authoritatively for God. Peter will prophesy at Pentecost. He will tell people to repent of their sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's speaking forth from God. That's prophesying. It's going to be very important as we advance through this book of Acts to understand this. Prophecies are given by God and relate to substantial, to significant, to important events concerning Christ and his kingdom of redemption. Prophecies speak of important things. God doesn't send prophets to tell you about who you're going to marry or what career path you should pursue. You know, false prophets, they, they always make everything about you. False prophets emphasize the individual. They emphasize you rather than Jesus Christ. They talk about how great and successful you are going to be rather than how great and marvelous is Christ Jesus. It's one way you can recognize them as being a false prophet. They focus everything about you. Early in my ministry, I think I've shared this before, it's probably been years ago, Early in my ministry, I had one woman make a false prophecy about me describing a vision that she had supposedly seen. You know, false prophets always try to make a, an individual feel 
very significant about themselves. Uh, it plays to the sin of human pride. That's the hook. It's about you. You're really awesome. And su- supplying false prophecies about an individual is how cults attract people. It's about you. You keep going back. I want to hear some more about me. And people are made to return because they feel more significant than they actually are. Uh, Folks, true biblical prophecies, we will get into these as we progress through the book of Acts, true biblical prophecies are about Christ. His sacrificial work of redemption, having died for our sins on the cross. They're they're, uh, essentially always related to Christ's kingdom of redemption, Uh, validation of the apostles, once in a while a rebuke to those who oppose the disciples. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul gives a prophecy, gives it to the early church uh, who was told to expect that gifts of prophecy will be done away and tongues will cease. And then the closing words of the Bible demand that nobody add to the prophecies contained in this book. That's a bow tie at the end. So just be aware as we approach this topic over the next few weeks, God doesn't send prophets to tell each person who you're going to marry or where you're going to go to college. Um, Folks, those those all originate from false prophets. When you inspect them, they always have a critical, a critical theological flaw. The woman who made the prophecy to me, she, she came up with a conclusion that Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. I'm like, oh yeah, I think you're false. That Jesus isn't, isn't exclusive. You know, there are other ways to get to heaven. No, they're not. You're a false prophet. Your false words of her prophecy concerning me was meant to exploit human pride to try to make me think more than I am, um, which is exactly how Satan works. He was the first to exalt himself with pride. Uh, Young people, be aware. Be aware. It's it's out there all over the place. Um, When someone tries to convince you that there is something so special about you that God had to tell them about you, uh, you can reply with what the Lord said to, the Lord's brother James said, right? Yeah, uh, nobody has any idea what my life will be like tomorrow. I'm just a vapor here for a little while and then gone, says James. And all such boasting about tomorrow is what? Evil. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Nobody knows what tomorrow holds for you or for me. Uh, There's no one alive today that can tell us what our personal fortune and future holds. That's just a primer. Just a primer for our discussions about prophecy, which are going to start uh, once we get into to chapter 2. And then when we're there, we're going to be up to our necks with this stuff. Um, this prophecy in verse 11 is about Jesus. It's meant to assure that he's not going to poke his head in and out for a visit over time. Many, however, many false prophets will appear. Some of them will even suggest or insist that they are the Christ, Jim Jones. Some, some will even perform, we're told in Matthew 24, signs and, and wonders and miracles, false 
signs and wonders and miracles. Uh, to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, I told you in advance, do not go after them. Because when he returns, it's going to be in the exact same way that he departed. We're all going to see it. He'll appear in the clouds. Every eye will behold him. Every tribe on the earth will will mourn as the Lord returns to judge mankind's sin. You know what my suggestion is? Make sure your sins have been judged at the cross first. Make sure you aren't carrying the penalty for your sins when Christ returns. But be certain that you have trusted that Jesus died for your sins and rose again from the dead. Until that day comes, until he appears in the clouds, we've got a big job to do, uh, and we've been prepared by God to do it. Why would anyone just stand around looking into this? You're cleared for launch. Let's pray.